Welcome to the podcast of Maranatha Ministries. I'm Rick Frank, Senior Pastor of Maranatha, and I pray you'll be blessed by today's message. You can access all of our church information by going to our website at www.mmchurch.com or on all social media by searching at mmchurch. And now be blessed by listening to today's message. I'm reading from Psalm chapter 73, verse number 17. Thomas wrote here, and he said, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then... You know, you'll understand things in church that you'll, you don't understand if you don't come. You'll get a revelation of the things of God by being in church that you don't get on your own. And the psalmist here said, it was when I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood there. And I want to talk to you today just for a little bit about this subject that I've simply entitled, The Power of Perspective, and ask you, what is your perspective on life and circumstances? Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the parable. It's not a biblical parable, but it's a parable. And it's a story of a group of blind men who were being introduced for the first time in their life to a new animal in their uh, existence, which was an elephant. And so the first blind man walked up to the elephant and he grabbed hold of its trunk and he said, wow, this animal feels like a thick snake. Uh, and so he had that image of the elephant. The next person came up and he landed on the ear of the elephant and he grabbed hold of the ear and then grabbing hold of the ear, he said, wow, this elephant feels like almost like a fan you'd hold in your hand. That's a strange shape of an of a, of a animal. The next uh, blind man happened to bump into the leg, and he grabbed the leg, and he said, man, an elephant is like a tree. Feels like this, this animal feels like a tree trunk. So his image of an elephant was like a tree, tree trunk. The other blind man walked up and just put his hand on the side of it and felt the side of the elephant. And he said, wow, this elephant is big. It's like a wall. And so you had a group of men who had touched this elephant, the last of which grabbed hold of the tail, and the last man that grabbed the hold of its tail said, wow, an elephant is like a thin rope, strange shape for an animal. And so you had all of these men feeling the same animal and coming up with a completely different perspective of what this animal was actually like, because all of them we're only seeing a small piece. Can I tell you today that you are only seeing a small slice of life? And it's important as to what we allow to form our perspective on things because every one of us in this building today or that is watching this on our live stream or will watch this in the future or hear this sometime in the days ahead, Every single one of us has only a limited knowledge of what life is really all about. I don't care how smart you think you are. I don't care how wise you think you are. I don't care how well-read you think you are, how versed you think you are. You've only got a small segment, a limited knowledge of what life truly is. And this was the problem that Asaph had. Now, we attribute all of the Psalms usually to David. David did not write all of the Psalms. might be news to some of you, but there were other writers of the Psalms. Asaph was one of them. Asaph actually wrote 11 Psalms. 
He wrote uh, Psalm number 49 was written by Asaph, and then Psalm 72 through 82 was written by Asaph. And so we are reading today from Psalm uh, 73. And so the problem that confronted the writer Asaph of this, of this particular psalm, the problem that he faced was that he was looking at his circumstances and his situation, looking at it with very limited knowledge. Now, Asaph was a great man. He was not just a nobody, because if he was a nobody, he wouldn't have books that got included in the Bible, <laughs> considered to be the anointed Word of God. Asaph was part of the writing that took place there, writing these psalms. He was a great man. In fact, it was his, his descendants and those that were raised under him that are accredited with offering up that great praise in Solomon's temple that was so great that the glory of God fell and they couldn't minister. Asaph's group was, part, was, was what produced that kind of worship. Asaph was no slouch is what I'm trying to say. What's that word? What, what's the word? Slouch, is that the word? Louse. I used the word louse the other day, and Julie thought that was hilarious. How many of you know what a louse is? Yeah. <laughs> Some of us know what a louse is. It's, it's, a louse is exactly how it sounds. Asaph was no louse. <laughs> he was a powerful man. He was a godly man. He was a worshiping man. And yet he wrote one day and said... It wasn't until I came into the sanctuary of God that I understood their end. Why would he have to write such a word? Why would he have to write such a statement? Let me tell you why. Because he was discouraged with what he was seeing going on around him. And if we're not careful, we can look at this world around us and see what's taking place and all of the problems and all the upheavals and all of the struggles and all of the conflicts and all of the different viewpoints and all of the different ideas and all of the different philosophies and this group hating this group and this group fighting against this group and this group doing this and this group doing that, and we can get discouraged and wonder what is going on, and what hope is there? Can you say amen? And so he begins his psalm, Psalm number 73, by saying this, and this is a good place to start. Truly, God is good to Israel. I don't care what things look like. I don't care what things look like in your personal life right now. I don't care what kind of troubles you're facing. I don't care what trials you're facing. I don't care what hardships you're facing. You need to say, God is good. And if you wonder, if you wonder how you should respond to that, walk up to Mark Weatherwax after service today and just look at Mark and simply say, God is good. I won't tell you how he'll reply Say that to him. Mark, I'm sorry, you're bringing up a line. Just stand at the back door and wait till everybody leaves because they're going to walk up to you and say, God is good, and they want to hear your reply. I'm not going to tell them what it is. Sorry. Should I tell them to save you? No, I'm going to let them. God is good. Psalm 73, Asaph wrote in verse number one, God is truly, God is good to Israel, such as are pure in heart. Now, Asaph knew that God was good, and he knew that God was always good to his people. And this is very true. God is good, and God is always good to us. This is very true. Psalm 31, this is not a psalm of Asaph, but it is a, is a psalm nonetheless that says this, How great is your goodness! which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. How great is the goodness of God? Can anybody here describe how great God is? 
I can't. But listen to what Asaph said. Verse 1, truly God is good to Israel. Verse 2, and this is how quickly it can change for us. I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to be honest on my job. I'm trying to be fair in everything I do. I'm trying to treat people right. And I see the ungodly prospering while I get the brunt of everybody's problems. While I go through hardships trying to do the right thing, the ungodly are prospering. He said, God is good to Israel, but his next sentence is, I was envious of the worldly people when I saw how prosperous they are while I struggle. But he said, he saw the wicked prospering, he saw God's people suffering. He wondered how a good God could allow his own people to suffer so much while he allows the wicked to go on prospering. And we would all have the same question and the same point of view in our lives. And we, and, and, and we, in fact, we probably have seen people that we thought deserved better struggle, fight, battle, haven't we? Good people going through difficult times. Verse 4, his next problem was the fact that the wicked people seemed to be at peace. They didn't have the hurts and the turmoil and the hardships and the worries and the fears that I deal with. They're all in peace. He said in verse 4, there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They live a great life and they die in peace. It looks like they die in peace. You don't see afterwards. Asaph saw the wicked living in their sins, living long lives, having the best money to pay for the best doctors, to get the best care, to live the longest lives. They're not plagued in verse 5. He said they're dead. They don't have trouble like other men. They're not plagued like other men. He's looking at people outside of church. They're not plagued like other men. They're not disturbed like other men. They're not having hard times like other men. They're not in trouble. Verse number 7, he said, their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish for. How many of you have more than your heart could wish for? (laughs) They have more than their heart could wish for. Here I am, trying to struggle, trying to be faithful in my offerings and my tithe to God. Sometimes I'm putting money in the offering plate when I know I don't have enough money for my electric bill. But I want to be true to God, and I'm struggling, and I'm fighting battling. He said their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish for. They could throw $1,000 bills out and not even, not even know it's missing. That's how the wicked are. Verse 12, he said, behold, these are the ungodly. They're always at ease. They always increase with riches. How many of us have, have, have seen the rich and the powerful interviewed and we think, man, they just got it all together. You know, they sit there with their nice suits on and they just have all the knowledge and all the wisdom and telling you how to invest and what to do and they sit and live in their palaces and they drive their nice cars. In fact, they don't even drive them. They have chauffeurs. They don't even believe in God. And here I am trying to remain faithful to God. I'm trying to do the right thing, trying to live right, trying to treat people right, trying to be honorable in my job and the, the guy that lied and cheated got the advancement and I didn't. 
Verse number six, it just keeps getting worse. Verse number six, he says, therefore, pride serves as their necklace. They wear pride. Look at me. They wear it around their necks like a neck, like an ornament. Aren't I something? Aren't I powerful? Don't I have nice clothes? Listen to what I have to say. I'll show you how to invest. They wear their pride like a necklace. They seem to be at peace. They go home at night. Their bills are paid. Their heat's on. Everything's working. Everything's good. Verse 8 and 9. You ready for this? They scoff and they speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, talking against God. Their tongue walks through the earth and they say, how does God know? And is there any knowledge in the Most High? You don't need to do all that stuff. You need to, you need to buy my investment book. You need to let me teach you how to, how to prosper. That's what they do. Try preaching the gospel to them and they scoff at you. Oh, you little peons, talk to me about this stuff. I've got it all made. I've got it all. I'm, I'm good. And we fall into the trap sometimes of thinking that if we do things for God, we are going to get blessed in this life. Now, don't we? If we do everything right, everything right should happen. If I live right, do right, think right, all good things should happen to me. And I'm going to ask you this. What would Job say about that? Ask Job if you do everything right, does everything work out? Ask Job if you'd say the right thing, do the right thing, live the right way, treat your family right, raise your kids right. Ask Job if everything always works out. I got a feeling you get a different perspective. But ask Job if it's worth hanging on to. Ask him if God is worth hanging on to. And so time and time again, Things in our lives are sometimes very hard to bear. And things in our lives may become unpleasing to us and difficult to bear. But we must make sure we maintain a proper perspective. Because God is bigger than the trunk of an elephant. And God is bigger than the tail of an elephant. And he's bigger than the leg of an elephant, and he's bigger than the side of an elephant. We don't see the whole picture, but we have to be able to see God. We must be able to see God. You ready for the wrap this up here? Because he's not done yet. Asaph said in verses 13 and 14, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. I have lived for God. I have sacrificed. I have come to church when I didn't feel like it. I've raised my hands and worshiped God when I was just going through the motions because it was the right thing to do. I have done everything I was supposed to do. I've put offerings in the offering plate. I've given tithe. I've done everything. I've given to other people when there were needs presented. I have given and I have given and I have given. And he said, I washed my hands in innocence. And he said, but all day long I have been plagued. And I'm chastised every morning. That's how he felt. Don't you feel that way sometimes? 
Doesn't life get so heavy sometimes? He said, if I had said, verse 15, 16, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought to understand this, it was too painful for me. Painful. Now, I've torn, you, I've torn us way down. I've almost made it feel like why, why we bother to live for God. Let me tell you what happened to Asaph. Asaph said, this is how I felt. And then he said this in verse 17. You ready for this? Until. I felt this way until. Until when? I went into the sanctuary of God. I entered into his presence. And let me tell you today that his presence is in this place. Because he said, wherever two or three of you are gathered together in my name, I am there. He said, I went into the sanctuary of God. Now listen to the perspective that changed. When I went into the sanctuary of God, that's when I understood their end. And that's when I understood my end. This middle ground may not be so great. But you haven't seen me when I receive my reward. And you may look great today and everything seems to be going good today. But your reward is coming and it's going to be nothing like mine. My friend, you have got to change your perspective and see the big picture. Heaven is what's waiting for us. Hallelujah. And I'm here to tell you right now, it is not the beginning that matters and it is not the middle that matters. I don't know what's wrong in your life right now in this middle ground, but I'm here to tell you, get your perspective changed so that you can see your end. Because when we are walking on streets of gold, we are not going to care how much we had to pay down here. When we are dancing in the spirit and rejoicing in the presence of Almighty God with peace and joy everlasting, we are not going to care what pain we suffered in this short period of time called life. Hang in there. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Let me wrap this up by giving you a quick uh, story here. Arthur Ashe. I'm familiar with the name Arthur Ashe. He was... uh, he was a, uh, back in the 80s, he was a great uh, tennis player. He uh, underwent heart surgery, and this was back when AIDS was first being discovered, and, and they, they did not know that they could actually transfer the AIDS virus through blood transfusions. And Arthur Ashe received some tainted blood, and he, came, he was diagnosed with AIDS through a, when he was having heart um, surgery. And one of his fans wrote to him and asked why God had to select you for such a bad disease. Why does such a bad thing happen to you? Easy for us to feel that way sometimes. Why does it happen to me? It's going to happen to somebody. Bad things are going to happen. And this fan asked Arthur Ashe, why would this have to happen to you? This is what his reply. I think his reply is really pretty awesome. He said, well, the world over... 50 million children start playing tennis. He said 5 million of them actually learn how to play tennis. Out of that 5 million, 500,000 become professional tennis players. 
Out of those 500,000, 50,000 come to the circuit. Out of those 50,000, 5,000 reach the Grand Slam. Out of the Grand Slam, 5,000, 50 of them reach Wimbledon. Out of the 50 in Wimbledon, four of them go to the semifinals. And out of the semifinals, two of them go to the finals. And out of those two in the finals, one of them wins. He said, I have won. And I did not ask God when I won, why me? Why would I ask him that now? That's a good outlook on life. We don't ask God, why me, when blessings befall us. We don't wonder, God, why me, when something good happens. But when something bad happens, why me? And the answer is, why not you? And what does it matter what happens to us in this life when we know heaven is what's waiting for us? Praise God. Asaph finished up in, 70, in Psalm 73 in verses 23 and 24. He said, nevertheless, no matter what's happening to me, I'm continually with you. I got the Lord on my side. You hold me by your right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me into glory. My friend, we do not live for this life. We live for that life. And this is where every one of us needs to come. Jameson, come. Where every one of us needs to come to. When life's problems come against you, sickness and disease come, pain and brokenness comes, we need to do what Asaph did. We need to come back to the house of God. We need to come back to the presence of the Lord because he said it wasn't until I came into the sanctuary. Now this, we, you know why this is the sanctuary? I'm going to tell you why this is this building right here. Why is this a sanctuary? Because you're here. It's not a sanctuary without you. This is just four walls and a carpeted floor without you. With you, it's a sanctuary. You know what that means? That means when you enter into your home, it's not just a brick building anymore or a wood structure. It's a sanctuary. Why? Because you have come there and you possess the presence of God. You have to understand that. Why is this a sanctuary? Because two or three of us are gathered together in His name. That's why we come to church. That's why it's so important that we come. I, 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 I talk about this all the time. That's why it's, it's great if all you can do is watch online for sicknesses or you're out of town or whatever. Live stream it by all means. But my friend, don't rest on that. Get up. Come together. Because it's where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in their midst. And this place becomes the sanctuary because we're here. And when I'm in his presence, I understand their end and my end. And I realize this is worth living. Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Ministries podcast. If this message touched you, please make sure to subscribe for more sermons from Pastor Frank and the ministry team here at Maranatha. 
as well as follow us on our social media platforms. We are located in Schenectady, New York, and if you are in the area, we invite you to join us during our weekly Sunday service starting at 10.30 a.m. We look forward to you joining us again next week for another anointed message. Thank you, and God bless.